You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast. My name is Chelsea Slotten, and today I'm joined by Sarah Head, Cheryl Fogel-Hash, Emily Long, and Kristen Lopez. Ladies, thank you so much for being here tonight. It's always a pleasure. Of course. You're welcome. Excellent. So before we jump into the nitty gritty of today's episode, I just wanted to address a couple of things that have happened in the U.S. in the last month. Um, as I'm sure all of you know, we've had two major hurricanes, Irma and Harvey. There are a couple other hurricanes in the Atlantic Ocean that are kind of brewing. Not sure what they're going to do yet. There are massive wildfires out in the um, west coast of the country, Charlottesville, um, and the the protests and riots that happened down there also occurred. There's been loss of life from all of those events, which is heart-wrenching. I will say personally, I am super, super proud to be part of the archaeological community the people that I've seen on Twitter and Facebook and, you know, Reddit and support groups all over the place coming out of the woodwork saying, how can I help? I live up north. I have a house you can come stay at. People working on recovery after the event. We actually have one of our normal participants who couldn't join us tonight because she is in Texas and will be working on some of the post-Harvey disaster relief efforts. That's amazing. And I'm so proud and happy to be part of this community of really wonderful people. And because it bears saying climate change is real. (laughs) Uh, Just going to throw that out. (laughs) Um, And and violence is bad. So without further ado, we are going to jump into this week's topic which is actually somewhat related to the events that happened in Charlottesville and an ongoing discussion that's currently happening both within the archaeological community and beyond about what should be done with Confederate monuments. And beyond that, should all history be saved? What is the appropriate way to save history because we don't want to forget the past, but also respect that some events can be very traumatizing for people. And we've got a couple different opinions recommend, uh, represented on this podcast. So if someone would like to jump in um, with their, their thoughts on this, just kick it off. Uh, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to out myself. I am, uh, I am not completely 100% for removing these statues and uh, I know that puts me on the unpopular end of the argument Uh, but I have my reasons and they are not because I am supportive of these ideals of the men uh, that are being uh, lauded in these statues it's that I feel like the removal of these I think it is that people don't understand that history is not always pretty and good and happy and I feel like uh taking these statues away is akin to erasing parts of our, our heritage and our history in a way that kind of makes it like it never happened. And I think it's very important that we remember that these things happened. Emily did bring up a good point though, about the whole, a process needs to be in place. Um, Because I also think it's a bit of a slippery slope. It's uh, because once we start removing even this piece of history, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that any of this is good stuff. It's not. Um, but once we start removing that, what's the next thing that we start removing, you know? Um, so I think it, I think it's a very delicate situation that we're walking into. Um, and I, I feel like there's a huge conversation that needs to occur before anything is taken away. Does that make sense? It, it does. I live in Baltimore, Maryland now and came here a few years ago. And it's been interesting to be a fly on the wall here because there's uh, the, the, old, the Confederate monuments in Baltimore range in creation date from 1887 
which is the Judge uh, Roger Tawney, um, to 1948, which is Jackson and Lee. And there's also a Confederate women's monument and Confederate soldiers, sailors. And Baltimore being so close to Virginia, yeah, Maryland was a Union state, but Baltimore was under martial law, and there were pro-Confederate riots in the night in the 1860s, and it's just been really interesting because a couple of years ago, the former mayor put together a commission to study the removal of monuments, and there were meetings which I knew was happening, but I didn't really pay attention to. And then when Charlottesville happened, current city council, someone made a resolution and it passed to remove the monuments and current mayor moved them, removed them overnight, which seems fast, but it it was an ongoing conversation. But people are still, um, I heard all sides of it, people for, people against, you know, keep my mouth shut and just listen to the comments on, on the buses and in the waiting rooms and such. It's really been interesting. And then the city, um, some activists have put up different statues on the empty pedestals. You know, just one's a black female, some sort of empowerment figure. I don't really know what. And that was pulled down and people were counter-protesting the monuments being removed. And and now the city is scrambling because they put out proposals for artists to um, put something else up on the pedestals. And... I was doing some reading. Um, one of our local historic uh, preservation organizations put out a study of all this with all the timelines and the dates. Um, and I hope that gets into the show notes because it's interesting. Um, and it really, the, the soldiers' monument and the women's monument came up through sort of grassroots Confederate veterans and, and descendants of Confederate veterans. And there were debates in 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 the newspapers, you know, old quoted articles I was reading today was really interesting. Um, Pro and con, even back then. And I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know all that depth. Um, the, But honestly, on a personal level, the, the monument that obsessed me most is the, the Roger Taney monument because he was the Supreme Court justice who uh, wrote the opinion in Dred Scott, which is basically empowered um, – people to go after runaway slaves and he uh was a confederate judge to the end i mean he would he would uh, pretend to fake illness when he when he had a trial coming during the civil war about espionage because he'd try to postpone the trials and just all sorts of stuff which i i knew about dred scott but i didn't know about some of the other stuff but there are roger tawney mm-hmm. monuments all over maryland that have had to come down there's one here there's one near the state house which is, you know, concerned to have that figure as someone's coming towards the seat of the of democracy, which I not I know that's been removed now, but I don't know what's going to happen to these monuments. I don't think anyone has has publicly said where they're going. So, you know, they're in storage now, but it's it's been a topic of conversation. Not so much now because of the weather, but there for a few days, it was pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. So. Context is, a, I think, is a really important Exactly, and that's exactly what I want to see. But I, I don't know that that context belongs in front of courthouses that are yeah. seats of democratic governments. And I in totally agree. parks that children are playing at. And there was a really interesting... I think it absolutely belongs in front of courthouses. So, so there was a really interesting op-ed that I read um, a couple couple weeks ago that was a girl who was from, I believe it was Alabama, but it could have been Georgia, one of those, you know, deep southern states that was a Confederate state. And she talked about being in school. And going on school field trips to places where these statues were, specifically in some cases to go look at these statues, to stand in front of them, to get photographs taken in front of them. And the, you know, the the plaques, Robert E. Lee, born here, died here, served in the Confederate Army, you know, American citizen, fought for the rights of the southern states. And 
nothing on that plaque indicates in any way, shape, or form any of the ethical and moral conundrums created by this. And apparently in this particular girl's school, they weren't addressed in classes basically ever. So until she went to university at, you know, a liberal New England, smaller, you know, liberal arts school, there were just all these things that she had never been asked to address or to figure out how they related to her identity as, as a Southerner. And she just had this idea that these men were great men who had, you know, fought for states' rights and just very, very skewed perspective. And I don't think we're doing a good job contextualizing it. And I also think as much as we could put up a plaque and hope somebody reads it, like how often do, do people actually read plaques next to statues when you're you're a tourist? Exactly. And mm-hmm. I would definitely um, agree, Chelsea, on that. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's not just school children. I mean, children generally don't, having one of my own, read the plaques. No matter how much you try to get them to or try and read it aloud to them, they don't pay attention. It's looking at... Th- the monument. It's looking at how they're portrayed in the sculpture. It's the art. It's the context of placement rather than the context of time and the more um, nuanced sides of it that majority of the general public aren't going to pay attention to. The number of people even in parks that are interested in the specifics of the history of the park actually read the entire signage when they're there. Most people walk through, not everyone comes for the historical signage, and people that read it usually breeze, uh, skim through it and pick out the pieces that they're most interested in or that they agree with. So putting up signage in places where the context of the statue's placement is uh, potentially damaging to um, people's outlooks on life, on other people, and um, I think they just either need to be removed or relocated to a place where people can take a look at, at the more intimate context, such as like in a museum, in a side garden of a courthouse, not necessarily out front. Um, because anyone coming in, whether it be someone who is being um, tried, is not going, for example, is not going to have a very positive outlook on the court's proceedings that they're about to walk into when there's someone like this particular judge being revered in the front of the yard of the courthouse. Yeah. That I think depends on a case by case basis. Um, I think as a broad statement, no. Um, But, you know, I don't live in the South. I live in the West. So it's, I have a very privileged uh, outlook to the, what's going on. Um, the challenge I see is the few times that I've been to the South, the, the social dynamics are in some ways very appalling still to this day. Um, and it's one of those things that it's in the details and in the minutiae and the things that you don't discuss that reinforce a lot of these social nuances that are continued. Um, and it's, you know, just not thought of. And I think to make people think about it, um, removal or movement is the instigator of conversation over new signage. Because the number of people that are going to engage with that are going to vary uh, hugely, uh, just in uh, dramatically. Um, my personal outlook on monuments generally though tend to definitely look at the actions within the place of history rather than from outside as an archaeologist looking in 
I feel like we are a part of history and we're creating what future archaeologists or future historians may look at and what statues and monuments we choose to keep around will inform their ideas about what we hold dear. Um, and, you know, one might say it's uh, somewhat, you could say, naive or like idyllic in trying to be like, you know, this is how I hope that we're perceived as a society or as a culture a hundred years from now, um, or, you know, a thousand years from now, it's keeping those statues around are definitely not how I think I would like to see our culture portrayed in the future. There are still a lot of people that hold these views of separate but equal, um, referring of course to a lot of the the Lee statues and others being erected during Jim Crow um is is yeah that's why they haven't been completely removed that's why they were put up and that's why it's still a controversy so it's I would like to hopefully see that our society will reflect upon this in the not too far future and be like you know this is not how we should treat our fellow human our neighbors and this is uh, no longer something that we hold dear. And I think, um, you know, the just like with an advertising, how you portray women um, is plays a big part in how women are treated. And I think how we portray important historical figures and how we portray um, our diverse uh, culture, and the diversity within the United States, you know, does play into the reality of how it's acted out. So I think those are some really excellent points. We are kind of butting up against the end of our first 20 minute section. And I Perfect. think that there are a lot of really important points we can touch on and arguments that have made for and against for and against this in terms of the whitewashing that may be happening and the erasure of history. Uh, I'm going to suggest that we come back to that after the break when we can really delve deep for the next 20 minute section. So see you after the break. All these things we make no apology are the study of archaeology. We don't do dinosaurs. Did aliens build Stonehenge? Did the Easter Island statues walk? Did the Vikings colonize Midwest America? What does mainstream archaeology have to say about all of this? Listen to the Archaeological Fantasies podcast and learn about popular archaeological mysteries, hoax or fact. Learn to tell the difference with Dr. Kenneth Fader and co-host Sarah of the Archie Fantasies blog. Check out the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash Archie Fantasies and get ready to think critically. Let's get back to the show. Funny beady blokes you will see are a staple of archaeology. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. So far in today's episode, we have been discussing the place of monuments um, in history and whether or not they should be saved, particularly in relation to the Confederate monuments. When we left, we were just starting to get into some kind of social justice aspects of the the monuments and how they relate to history and white supremacy and attitudes that may still be prevalent in the South. And I know that Sarah had some thoughts on those topics. So let's kick it off with you, Sarah. Yeah, I... Um... I, I, I know that this is the wrong side of the argument, but I have to argue it anyway. Um, we, we mentioned earlier the whole, you know, what about the culture in the South kind of thing. And my biggest problem with the statue removals, especially when it's just like the whole like burn it down. The problem that I have is I feel very strongly that this is a censoring of history and yeah, it's a horrible, ugly part of our history, but it happened and removing all indicators or memorials of that happening isn't going to do us any favors. It's going to make it easier for deniers 
to say, no, no, that never happened or it didn't happen the way you said it happened. And it like uh, Chelsea, I think it was, was telling the story about the, or maybe it was um, Cheryl was telling the story about the girl who had no idea of her state's history until she got out of the state schools and into college. And that's not an uncommon story, no matter what state you're in. Um, but it's only going to be worse if we take away all the little reminders. And, you know, there are some that come down. I mean, I, I, I don't think we really need 15 statues to that one judge because, A, we don't need 15 statues in one state to anybody, honestly. But keeping one up isn't a bad idea. And the thing with the signage, I mean, we can make the same arguments for positive signage as we made for the negative signage. People people are either going to read the signs or they aren't going to read the signs. And that's why, like, when it comes to presenting history and in museums and that kind of stuff, signage is always a pet peeve of mine because <laughs> I never feel like it's adequate anyway. But... People are going to interact with it on some level, and it's better to have something than to have nothing. But at the same time, we need to have these statues up. And yeah, having them up in front of a courthouse, I think, is perfect because we need to be, we need to tell people, you know, at one point when you came to this courthouse, if you were the wrong color, you were screwed for no other reason than you were the wrong color. And we need to remember that so that we don't do it again. And it's, as I said before in the first segment, it creates a slippery slope. You know, we start censoring and we start editing that horrible part of our history. What's next? And I know someone's going to be like, oh, you're being reactionary or you're blowing it out of proportion. But it's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Look at what's happened over the last year. You can't tell me that I'm not being a reaction. You can't tell me that I'm not onto something when I'm watching it happen on the Internet and on the, you know, just in general with our politics, the more reminders we have about the bad parts of our history, the better, because it will prevent this crap hopefully happening again in the future. It, and that's the thing, like removing the statues removes them out of context. Unless, you're got, unless you have something set up for these things to be moved into, and I'm sorry, you have to preserve them. This is history we're talking about. So these things either need to be left in situ or they need to be moved someplace where they can be taught properly as part of the hist our history. And I'm not seeing people say, okay, let's build a Jim Crow museum where we talk about this or let's build a museum to racism or any of that. All I'm hearing is tear it down, burn it down. This offends me. Let's get rid of it. Well, you know what? History is offensive. We're not good people. We've done horrible things. We need to remember that. Well, but that that's right. the same. You can make the same argument the opposite direction. I mean, how many statues are there in downtown D.C. where I'm like, I don't fucking know who that is. I think it's another Washington statue. <laughs> and then you walk up on it and you're like, oh, no, it's Morton somebody or other. I, I don't know who that is. I mean, in general, we are horrible at communicating our history and our, our monuments to future generations. We're, we're, we're bad at it. Um, so the, the argument swings both ways, but it doesn't have to be like that, I guess is what I'm saying. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I agree that we don't want to erase history. Um, and I, for example, think it would actually be a really, really great idea to take some of these statues and put them in a museum and contextualize them. And that context, as I would see it, wouldn't be in a Civil War exhibit. It would be in a Jim Crow era, you know, South exhibit, or it would be in, um, you know, Civil Rights Movement exhibit, because that is when a lot of these statues were enacted. Um, one thing, and I know that anytime you bring up Nazis and Hitler, you're going to have people be like, oh, that was a different thing. Or So, like, please spare me. I've heard it. I've thought about it. Um, I'm just, I'm just going to, like, throw that out there before anyone else gets that idea. But Germany doesn't have any statues of Hitler hanging around. That doesn't mean that they're forgetting the Second World War 
or the terrible human being that he was or all of the awful things that happened and the people that lost their lives. And that's not to say that there aren't World War II monuments in Germany, but they're about the people who were hurt. Um, and I think that that's, that's like a very important part of the conversation is, is who is this impacting? And Rosemary Joyce wrote like a wonderful, wonderful piece about Confederate statues and whether or not we should hold on to them. And I'm going to put it in the the show notes because it's wonderful that basically say, it's not necessarily our choice, right? Like we weren't the people who were hurt by that. We are not the people who are currently being hurt by the presence of these statues. And sometimes we need to get out of our own way and let other people's voices be heard. Um, And that this idea of preserving history shouldn't come at the cost of people who are currently living. I second that. (laughs) Because for so many people, this is in many ways, there's still a bit of a reality behind it. I mean, it's a reminder and a reinforcer of things that are currently going on. It's not 100% in the past. And a lot of these things are constant reminders and reinforcements of of the way that society is structured. And if we want that to change, you know, definitely teaching history is kind of in, of course, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, is A1 on top of the list as far as priorities um, that we have totally and completely slacked on as a country. Um in so many different ways. And um, Sarah here, I noted as well that um, Germany has issues with, uh, quote, fringe groups reinterpreting uh, reinterpreting their own history. And that's something that we have an issue with here as well um, in the U.S. And thus, let me just put out an example of flat earthers, you know. <laughs> you don't have to venture far into the internet to find things that aren't uh, real <laughs> that people are, are grasping onto. So um, did you want to uh, elaborate on that, uh, Sarah? Uh, yeah. It, 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 I was just responding to what Chelsea was saying um, I think the the examples of uh, Germany and Nazism are perfect, actually. Uh, and I don't care if anybody wants to throw Gottfried's law up there. Screw you. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it is important to note that, that Germany has gone out of their way to minimize the number of uh, Nazi memorabilia that is, or Nazi monuments that are left around the country. And I mean, that's their prerogative. But the cost for that has been interpretation is now open to anyone um and or the the article that uh, you mentioned she makes a very powerful argument the problem that i have with the argument is and as i've said before i'm very sorry if certain parts of history are offensive or hurt people but that's kind of why we need to remember that we need to have reminders of that so that we don't continue to do it or so that those same people can point to that and be like, look, this has happened. These things were real. This is why I am offended or I am hurt. And I think washing all of that away is not going to help anyone. It's, it's a really hard argument, but I mean, I just do not see the benefit to removing any mention or most mentions of horrible things that have happened in our past. Because all we are left with at that point is the sunshine, rosy view of the past. And as someone who deals with debunking crap, 
on a daily basis. <laughs> part of the problem that I have is people have this golden age syndrome of the past. And it's like, oh, in the past, this was perfect. And this was this. And this was something else. And it's like, no, it was shit in the past. And here's the evidence that it was crap. But if I don't have that evidence to point to, I can't make those arguments as easily. That is where our jobs as archaeologists and as historians come into play. Uh, this is an argument I've been having in, in my, my grad school uh, class right now. It is our job to educate the public. And if the public walks up to a statue and doesn't understand the context of that statue, we have failed. I mean, I don't, I don't have a better way of putting it. The only way that people know what something is is if we give them a clue of what it is. Here's a statue of Hitler. He was, a, he was the leader of the Nazi party. He is responsible for killing some, six, what, 60,000 Jews and other groups, you know? There's no reason why we can't put... And I mean, I got... Plaques are not the best thing, but there's no reason why we can't put interpretation around the monuments saying, here is a statue to General Lee. He was on the, the side of, wait, Lee, I got to write. Now you got me questioning myself. He <laughs> Sorry. Side of himself. You know, he, he was, I guess, in support of slavery. You know, I mean, it's... <sighs> I'm not saying that we need to preserve every freaking statue or every monument, but the other end of this argument is some of these monuments that have been put up, not all of them, but some of them that have been put up are put up by people who were the survivors or the families of the soldiers who fought on the side of the South and who were not great people, but are we... Are we really willing to tell these people that you can't have memorials to your dead because they did a thing that is offensive to 90% of the country? I, even as much as I don't like what that all stands for, I don't know if I'm really willing to tell somebody that they can't honor their dead. So here's, here's something um, just to toss in. Is the proportion of, of statues and large monuments, because they're, of course, hideously expensive uh, to put up, the proportion of those that venerate things that we think full, think today as a majority ideal of our culture as hideous things, for those things that we would like to celebrate and venerate. How many of those exist? Do we have room in our cities? Are we making room in our cities for the things that we want to see venerated and that we want to see statues of? Um, I agree that we should be replacing these instead of just tearing them all down uh, because it leaves, as mentioned before, a vacuum. And um, I think it's something that is difficult to do just based on the cultural context of, of where it's occurring and, and the heated sort of um, slow kirker <laughs> a simmer that this has been on for, what, 150 years or so now. Um, I just think that as far as for the people who were you could say victims who, who are today still those when they walk by these statues cringe or feel ill do we have anything for them to look up to i mean you have like idols uh, basically that's what these are right you have these monuments to uh, personas, um, whether they have cult correct cultural context or not, they are idols for a certain population to look up to and venerate, whether we agree with that or not, or whether we would like to have them do that or not. Whereas there's a, another portion of the population, a much larger portion of the population, 
that would prefer to have something more positive or something else to to look up to or venerate. Um, that would be my next proposal alongside Emily's, like, you know, destroy with care. <laughs> Let's put something else up. I completely agree that we need to have a counterbalance in the monuments and um, the statues. I mean, it's it's it is also creating a vacuum by not having those things. Um, I mean, I, I'm uh, right. And I'm a hundred percent with you guys there. I mean, we need more monuments to women. We need more monuments to minorities. We need more monuments to our slave past and that kind of stuff. We need those things because of the same thing that I just said about telling Southerners that they can't venerate their dead. We need to venerate the dead of other groups as well. That's the only way that we're going to dig ourselves out of this hole. Um, Unfortunately, where that money and where that stuff comes from is not in the purview of archaeology uh, or history interpreters. That falls on the backs of politicians and special interest groups. And we can support them when they say, I want to build a statue or I want to build a monument to venerate so-and-so who was uh, you know, a great um, – a great force of, of change in, I don't know, the black, right. Uh, black lives matter or something like that. I mean, that's going to come up eventually. I think when that time comes, we should put all of our weight behind that and be like, yes, we need to have a statue to that. Um, but until then, all we can do is say, let's not destroy the history we have and let's put more of the history that we know about up. There's no reason why we can't have, you know, a, a positive statue next to a negative statue. I, I think that would be fantastic because then you could be like, this dude was an asshole and this guy wasn't. And <laughs> I think that would be a really good counterbalance. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's right. <laughs> so give us money. I mean, yes. it comes down to a money argument and I hate when that happens, but it's kind of where it's at. Yeah, and unfortunately, the old aristocracy in in the South is kind of where a lot of those statues came from. Um, exactly, and so, it's definitely up to us educators, the historians, and archaeologists to let people know who the good people were. I guess <laughs> it is. It I is think that's such a problem, though, because there's such a range. Some people really know the history, and some don't. And it's it's some of it's you know some of it's out there. Um, some of the historic preservation groups, um, and some people are very knowledgeable, but then you get people who are just angry that certain monuments were taken down and, and you know, they just have an emotional reaction. But what do you do? Because the closest monuments to, to where I live, uh, there's a big monument to George Washington. Um, it's, it's kind of like the one in DC. You can go up, there's stairs inside of it. It's, you know, hundred and some feet tall and you can, you can, go up to the top and look around the neighborhood. Well, then that's a couple city blocks around that are these small parks. And they all have statues. There's all sorts of them. Um, I don't even know who they all are, but there's certain people on horses and certain pedestals, and the Judge Tawny Monument was one of them um, that was taken down. But I couldn't tell you who the rest of them were. But, you know, you're just going through about your business. There's a big bus stop that's within line of sight of it. Um it's just out there, but George, getting back to the George Washington Monument, it's most folks' common knowledge that Washington owned slaves, but nobody has said, let's take that monument down. So it's not necessarily the Confederacy and the South, it's the, the lost cause narrative when these monuments came up you know, later, which we've been talking about, and it's, it's just really... It's really dark, but I don't know how you force people, other than the schools, I don't know how you force people to uh, really learn this, you know, dark bits of the history because, um, and then my other point is a minor quibble, it's the state house, the Maryland state house where the other Judge Tawney um, turn up, uh, statue is, it's the state house um, in the capital of Maryland in Annapolis. So it's not a, there may, he may be at some courthouse somewhere, but the one I was referring to when I was talking about government is the state house, the elected government um, and people coming into the, the capital. Sure. Mm. Um, 
And I know that there are there are other monuments in other states in front of courthouses and things. We have run a little bit over on this uh, second section of the podcast. Sorry. Which I think is, no, I think it's great. I think we're having a wonderful conversation. And I feel really bad about having to jump in and be like, oh, wait, guys, it's time for a break. <laughs> Um, but oh wait, guys, it's time for a break. Or later for the day. Um, <laughs> so when we come back, I think we'll we'll dive back, right back in here. I think there was a really interesting comment that was made about putting positive and negative statues next to each other, and I would love to bring up a uh, case study from across the pond, and we will get to that on the other side of this break. This network is supported by our listeners. You can become a supporting member by going to arcpodnet.com slash members and signing up. As a supporting member, you have access to high quality downloads of each show and a discount at our future online store and access to show hosts on a members only Slack team. For professional members, we'll have training shows and other special content offered throughout the year. Once again, go to arcpodnet.com slash members to support the network and get some great extras and swag in the process. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. So far on today's episode, we have been discussing the place of monuments in our history and should they be removed? Should they stay? What should be done with them? Particularly regarding Confederate monuments in the U.S., I would like to take a quick detour across the pond to Great Britain. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of attention recently on the conversation that's happening in America, but there was an excellent Guardian article from a couple weeks ago, end of August, talking about a conversation that, that needs to happen beyond just North America. Um, in this particular piece was addressing Admiral Horatio Nelson, who like defeated the French Navy and people in Britain learn about him and love him. And like, he was like a really solid strategist, right? And I will just throw that out there because he was. Um, he was also completely unrepentantly what we would now identify as a white supremacist. He lived during a period when people were denouncing slavery. Nelson was vigorously defending it, and he had a lot of political and social clout at the time. So, I mean, he's he's one of Britain's best-known naval heroes, and he used his position in society, in the House of Lords, and all of the influence he garnered through the activities that he did um, during his life to perpetuate slavery and the, the tyranny and torture and rape and exploitation that goes along with all of that. And that's really fucking terrible. Um, and like Washington and Jefferson owning slaves. Yeah. And but yet being our founding fathers. Exactly. And on the other side, you know, there's a square where um, in, in Wimbledon, that has two statues, one of Nelson and one of William Wilberforce, Wilberforce, who was, you know, great force for ending Britain's official involvement in the transatlantic slave trade in, in 1807. So there are examples in the world of places where you have both very, very positive figures such as William Wilberforce, situated right next to people like Admiral Nelson, um, who was a white supremacist and like not a cool dude. And an engagement with these issues is, is still not being dealt with. The, the author of this article was tweeting about it and came back and said, you know, some of the replies that he was getting on on Twitter were people being like, I don't want that nonsense spreading here from America. Past is past. We have moved on. Um, which is like a direct Twitter response from like, hey, like maybe we should look at some of our own statues and, and things. Because apparently trying to deal with the ethical and moral conundrums that exist in the history of population is nonsense. Like, no, it's super, super important. Um, and, and I mean, like the conversation <laughs> we could have about the, the evils of colonialism 
like hours and hours and hours and podcasts and podcasts and podcasts. <laughs> yes. And we should definitely rant about that at some point. Um, I feel like there's already a podcast that handles all of that. Right. Just- but, but like maybe we'll table that for another day because we've only got another couple minutes. Um, yeah. But this, this isn't a solely U.S. problem. And even when you have situations where things are slightly more contextualized and you have positive along with negative, that doesn't guarantee that people are going to engage with it in a critical and thought-provoking manner, um, such that we might desire. <laughs> I, um, I feel like this is very similar to what happens with art. Uh, keeping in mind that a lot of these things were considered art when they went up. The problem is, is once we, we can only do what we can do uh, as much as I've been ranting about, it's our job, rawr. <clears throat> we can only put the materials up there. We can only put the plaques up. We can only put things in the context for people. People are going to internalize it and digest it in a way that is going to make sense to them. I I mean, we simply cannot be there for every person to pound into their head what we think the interpretation should be. Um, And that falls, so it falls on the individual to take the responsibility to read what's there and understand it uh, to some degree. Unfortunately, that does put these things up so that they can be used in ways that we don't want them to be used. I mean, someone's going to walk by one of these statues and read it and be like, yeah, that guy was a badass. And there's not a whole lot we can do about that. But the hope is is that if we get enough information out there and we get enough counterpoints out there and we keep things in context, that enough people will walk by and be like, that guy was an asshole, that we don't have to worry about it. And I apologize for my swearing, but that's... That's Never. that's the reaction we want. When when it's bad history, we want people to walk up to it and read it and be like, that is bad. I have gone to a museum of racism and I have walked through it and it was powerful and it was moving and I cried and it was beautiful. And I didn't walk out of there feeling any worse about myself than I did walking in. I was proud of that that museum exists and I will get you a link to it. Um And we need more of that in this country so that people can go in there and they can see the crap that we've done in the past and they can see what racism looks like. And then they can walk out and they can be like, you know what? Those people were assholes. I don't want to be that person. And they walk out and they're, they're a better person for it because I don't believe that many people walk into that museum and walk around and then come back out and be like, Oh yeah, look at all this stuff we used to do. Yeah. I don't see it happening. And that's the reaction I want people to have to these monuments to 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 racism. I want people to walk up to these these statues and I want them to read about these people and I want them to go, no, I don't want to be that. And I don't want that to happen again. And so I'm going to do everything I can to not be that person. And I think that's but we can't control it is what I'm saying, I guess. I'm ranting, I'm sorry. It's all right. No, and great point. So um, I want to add, uh, you mentioned a good um, racism museum, uh, Sarah. There's one museum that I, the tickets were sold out when we were in um, Louisiana uh, over the spring. And But I really, really want to go. This is on my, really high up on my to-do list over the next couple of years, is to go to the Whitney Plantation Museum. Yes. Um, And we mentioned earlier um, money being a very big, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, Driving force. (laughs) Driving force in a lot of this uh, quote unquote art or monuments and history being put up and the stuff that's recognized by the public and able to be recognized and looked at by the public. I mean, public art is very expensive. And thus the reason why, if it's not put up with private money, public money, sometimes in some areas, in some states, in some cities, is put aside for it, but not often. And when you have something like the Whitney Plantation um, that's put up, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it. If not, it is a museum dedicated um, that the uh, this uh, gentleman took a historic plantation um, and made it into a slave slavery museum. Um, and there are bronze 
sculptures and statues throughout. Um, it is, from what I've seen, you can check it out on the website, um, is amazing. And as far as like things that can really kind of attest to the horrible things in the past in a more visceral way, similar to how these large monuments that we're discussing uh, can have on a person, because that's some of it is it's like the history can seem really abstract to some people. And there are people who have a hard time really grasping uh, like a reading or a signage, but the, the visceral experience of being next to or below like a hundred foot George Washington statue is very different. Um, and so I would say, granted, I haven't been there yet, but um, it, you know, anyone who can or has the opportunity to uh, definitely check out that location. Uh, the For place sure. I was talking um, about, it's the, the Jim Crow Museum of Racist Memorabilia, and it's in Big Rapids, Michigan. It's attached to the college there. Um, it's You kind of have to go through their library to get there, but it's it's amazing. And if you are ever there, it's free to go. Actually, I think it's like a $3 donation, but either way, go do it. You will improve your life by doing that. So Awesome. And definitely add it to the to-do list. Not in Michigan all that often, but... but. <laughs> <laughs> So where's um, Big Rapids versus Grand Rapids? Which part of the hand? Ah, uh, <laughs> kind, of, kind of in the middle. Where was I when I I was up there for an archaeological dig? Uh, we were putting in a pipeline, and um, we had a snow day, so we went to the college, and it's 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 Big Rapids. I want to say it's like thirty minutes south of Grand Rapids. Okay, but it's, it's nearby. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we will all add that to our to-do lists. You, you know, and, and there are definitely museums that are doing a better job addressing some of these these difficult issues in our past. I will say, and I know that the the waiting list is incredibly long um, still to get into it. And I will also admit that despite the fact that I work at the Smithsonian, I went to the staff preview weekend when they were still kind of tweaking the last couple of things before the new African-American History and Culture Museum opened. Um, and I've been back once and had, you know, 45 minutes to see it, which is definitely not enough time. I think the first time I was in that museum, I spent five hours. But it's, it's really good. And they do an interesting thing where when you when you start in the history section, it, it takes you from the beginning all the way up through essentially modern modern times through you know civil rights um, and a little bit beyond, so that it's you really experience and see the depth and breadth of history and culture that African Americans have contributed to this you know society that we live in from the very beginning, you know, and they also have some mention of early African-Americans who were free and, and really contributed um, economically and, and were rewarded for their economic contribution and made money off of it. So they weren't slaves because slaves did also contribute economically. They just didn't gain anything personally from it. Um, and that's a very, very important distinction. So there, there are certainly examples of of us getting better. And I just, and I look at these monuments and I know that we're capable of better and we're capable of displaying these objects and dealing with this history in a way that is both respectful to all of the people who, who suffered and died and were done wrong by, as well as being a teaching and a learning experience and having people come out and be like, yeah, I know that shit's fucked up, not doing it again. Um, and I'm super glad that the the conversation is happening around what should be done with these these monuments because it gives us the opportunity to grow. But, but I want to see that opportunity taken advantage of. Um, and, and granted, one of the things that's super, super great about the fact that it's happening now, even if people aren't happy about it, is that we're talking about it. Um, and people are being forced to confront how they feel and what they want to see happen. And that's the path that is going to allow us to move forward um, rather than just kind of 
keeping on, keeping on. Well said. So I think we've got just a couple minutes left here, maybe two or three. Does anyone have kind of any any clothing closing thoughts that they have just been itching to say and haven't had the opportunity to over the, the course of this conversation or, um, you know, floor is open, last chance. Nah, I've pretty much said my piece and I, I feel <laughs> like, no, I, I've said my piece and I feel like everybody has been very respectful of everyone's opinions. And I think we're, I think we're all on the same page. I just think we all have different questions and different ways of going about what we're thinking. Agreed. It's it's all like um, the same destination, different paths. How should we deal with this? But the end result is more or less the same, that these things need to change, which is why, as we said, it's, you know, a topic of a conversation, a hot topic at that. Um, and with that, also making sure that that context reaches the classrooms. Yeah, That's a whole other episode. See how things play out, too where we go in future with some of these conversations and civic conversations that are happening and, and what the consensus is and the actions going forward. It'll be very interesting times. Definitely. Agreed. And definitely I would say um, as a, a, a last little thing off of what Cheryl was saying is, you know, if, if you feel strongly um, in any direction, get involved. Um, this is one of those things that, you know, statues don't go up or come down by themselves. <laughs> so if you want to see something else in its place, you know, gather a bunch of artists and start fundraising. Um, you know, there's, well, no. <laughs> yeah. In case that hasn't been made abundantly clear throughout the course of this podcast, we don't like Nazism and we don't like white suppression. We are archaeologists, you know. Right? I'm just like, yes. I'm going to be opinionated Complete. and throw that out there. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far Chelsea's as... Chelsea's yeah. correct. I stand by that statement. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yes, those of us, uh, I guess, um, <laughs> get involved when you can, where you can, uh, not just with this uh, specific um, piece of issues uh, but or this specific issue but also with just history and um education generally uh you know advocate for local history um get involved in your local historical society etc cetera, etc cetera. um because those places uh as they have more um people coming to them more issues like this will be uh become uh, points of conversation but unless we know who these people are that are statues in our gardens it's really hard to say one way or the other that's Definitely. a good conclusion. so i think those are all yeah excellent excellent point to end on as always ladies i adore talking to you i feel like i have the most productive and stimulating conversations so thank you very much for having these conversations with me and thank you to everyone who listens. Um, if you have any thoughts or comments on this podcast or any other podcasts, you can always reach us at women in archaeology at gmail.com um, or on our WordPress, WordPress blog, which is also women in archaeology blog. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, thank you so much for listening. Bye. 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 We hope you have enjoyed the show. Please be sure to subscribe and rate our show wherever you listen. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and probably whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Remember to like and share. If you have questions or comments, you can post them in the comments section for the show at the Women in Archaeology page on the Archaeology Podcasting Network site. Or email them to us at womeninarchaeologypodcast at gmail.com. This show is part of the Archaeology Podcasting Network and is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. You can reach them at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Music for this show was Retro Future by Kevin McCloud, available at Incomptep and royalty-free music. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.
This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.